Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, to manage your TSP in the new year, there'll be an app for that. To the extent that you use biometrics to sign into your banking app, you'll be able to do that with the TSP app. Sorting out the government's cyber structure isn't a short-term fix. It's going to take us many years till we actually look back and said, yeah, that was a smart idea and this is what it did for us. And the real task ahead for the CMMC board. How well or how bad off are we? We might find that people have actually done a lot of homework, and that's a good thing. It's Tuesday, December 21st, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. New training for federal employees on artificial intelligence would come from the Office of Management and Budget under a bill the Senate passed. The Artificial Intelligence Training for the Acquisition Workforce Act would target employees who buy and manage AI for the training. No word yet on when House leadership might schedule a vote on the bill. The Internal Revenue Service's legacy IT systems are exposing taxpayer data to cyber risks, according to the agency's Inspector General. The Office of the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration writes IT modernization has been a, quote, persistent challenge for many years. A new report from Tegda says IT problems could limit the agency's ability to collect taxes and process returns. Four components of the Homeland Security Department get passing marks from the Government Accountability Office on managing privacy incidents. GAO finds Customs and Border Protection, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and the Transportation Security Agency identified and reported breaches affecting privacy in a timely manner. GAO does recommend CBP document its risk assessments and notification processes. You can read more about all of these headlines and lots of other stories at fedscoop.com. February 8th is the Delivering Better Outcomes Through Automation event FedScoop's putting on. It's happening at the Ritz-Carlton West End in D.C. from 8.30 to 3. You'll learn how agencies are adopting automation to build capacity, efficiency, and accuracy to deliver better outcomes. You can read more about it and register through the link in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. 11 vendors that serve the thrift savings plan have a thumbs up for the services they provide. The risk assessment includes financial health, cybersecurity, credit risk, and others. Kim Weaver is director of external affairs and at least for a while was acting chief risk officer at the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. You're giving up one of your multiple hats, aren't you, Kim? Welcome. I am, and I am doing it uh, with mixed emotions. It was fun while I was doing it, but I am glad to be down to to just one job. What does the acting risk officer do, uh, chief risk officer do at the TSP? What were the responsibilities you picked up and now have handed off? Well, we have a fairly robust enterprise risk management program. Um, it We developed it, and as with any organization, it took time to get it going, and it took time to make it part of the the culture and the fabric of the agency, but we now have quite a good rhythm. We do a risk assessment. We do a risk profile. We do a risk treatment plan. We monitor against that plan, and then we do a risk appetite statement. So we know as an agency, what are we willing to be a little risky on and what are we not at all interested in being risky on? And given who we are, we're we're not particularly (laughs) interested in being very risky. 
I mentioned that you're handing those responsibilities off and you have a new chief risk officer there. The reason I bring this up is that uh, in one of your last tasks, I guess, as a chief risk officer, you reported on those 11 vendors that I mentioned. What do you analyze the vendors for and how do you go about analyzing those vendors, Kim? We have the the majority of our vendors are publicly traded. And so there's a a fair amount, obviously, of information about them. And then two of our vendors are privately held. Uh, So they require slightly different reviews. But we look at their um, ability to operate, their, their debt, you know, anything that we think might somehow affect their ability to continue operating. Um, And we take as broad a view of that as possible. And I think that's one area where the new chief risk officer, his name is Tom Brandt, he's joining us from the IRS. Um, That is one area where I think um, he will be able to really help the agency because one of the new FISMA domains is um, supply chain risk management. And so trying to set up an integrated risk management, um, both a, a tool that we can use, but more importantly, the processes and the policies will really help us with our FISMA score, but also more importantly, help us manage our, our actual risks. Would seem that that responsibility includes uh, some knowledge of technology, some knowledge of uh, the fiduciary responsibilities of financial management firms, uh, some knowledge of contracting. That's probably a, a really, as that person has to be a really well-rounded individual. Yes, I think that is true. Um, it, and it also, the, our, the way we've got it organized at the FRTIB is it's the director of planning and risk. So there are four divisions. It's it's project management. It's the risk and internal controls. It's strategy. And the fourth one is data analysis. All right. The laundry list of vendors here, Kim. Accenture, BlackRock, Broadridge Financial Solutions, DataBank, Equinix, Fidelity National Information Services, MetLife, RA Outdoors, Circo, SAIC, uh, State Street Bank. There are a number of vendors there that I'm very familiar with. There are some I'm not as familiar with, but it sounds like you've got all the big guns there and it looks like everybody gets a thumbs up. Yes. Yes. And we do this obviously quarterly and we report to the board on it because all of those vendors in one way or the other are um, enabling us to provide services to our participants. If one of them were to suffer, we would need to make alternate plans. And we have backup plans, obviously, for each of them. And we would swing into action. But nonetheless, it would be better not to have to do that. It would be better to have our vendors continue to operate. Well, congratulations on your tenure as acting chief risk officer. I want to also bring up uh, something along the same line. Uh, that you covered at your board meeting this month, and that is uh, an audit of the insider threat possibility that exists in every organization, not just the TSP. What did you find as you looked around the the insider threat landscape, Kim? That was done by our chief um, audit executive. We haven't, we don't have an IG. She's an analogous to the IG. And this past year, we stood up an official insider threat program. We pulled together different threads of things that had already been going on and created new programs. And what Barbara found was that the insider threat program was properly designed. She tested the inter- she tested the controls against those. And um, 
it was it was a good review, which is good because we're moving into sort of the first full year calendar year of it being operational. Uh, a lot of folks at the end of the year in my business do these lookbacks at what happened in 2021, and I've always hated that because it's over. Especially the like the last couple of years we've had uh, has just has been just weird. What is ahead for participants in particular in 2022, Kim? What's coming down the pike that your folks can look forward to? The, the big thing that we're focused on and the big thing that will affect the participants is the transition to our new record keeper in the summer of 2022. Um, that will provide a bunch of different benefits. Uh, a mobile app seems odd to, to say, but it is most desired and we will be able to provide that. It will reside on your phone. And so to the extent that you use biometrics to sign into your banking app, you'll be able to do that with the TSP app. Um, the mutual fund window will go live when that new record caper goes live. So there's a bunch of things that will happen that I think will be very um, beneficial to participants. And we're really looking forward to rolling that out. Kim Weaver, the Director of External Affairs, the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board, and now former Acting Chief Risk Officer. It's great to see you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. You can read more about what's coming to your TSP account in 2022 in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. This year's IT Mod Week is already on the calendar. It's coming February 28th through March 4th. More than 100 events will happen around D.C. with lots of government and industry speakers. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The National Cyber Director, Chris Inglis, says President Biden will delineate cyber jurisdictions and reporting structures in an executive order. Inglis said at the beginning of November, the EO was, quote, weeks to months away. Gene Schaefer's federal chief technology officer at Corelight and former chief information security officer at the Defense Intelligence Agency. Gene, welcome. Thanks very much for coming on the program. What do you see as the important things to watch in this executive order, especially regarding the intelligence community, the national Security Agency. Thanks very much for coming on, Gene. Sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So I think some of the things we need to watch to see what they're going to delineate um, go a little bit beyond just the responsibilities, right? Because when you look at what they're asking Chris to do, he, he really is trying to pull together the whole of government and, and focus them in certain areas. So naturally, there's going to be a lot of collaboration and overlap in general to be able to get everybody pointed in the same direction. So I don't think the executive order that's going to come out is going to absolutely black and white have lines in the role, in the road. I think what it's really going to do is try to um, delineate which organizations you should see future directions um, and doctrines and stuff coming from understanding that the goal of the whole thing is collaboration across the board. We got here, it, my sense is, Gene, by the creation of a lot of these positions. The Cyber Solarium Commission recommended the creation of Chris's job as it stands now. We have CISA. We have uh, the National Security Agency, Cyber Command on the defense side. There's a whole lot of moving parts here. There's cyber pieces all over the federal government. Given what you just described, that this might not tie up all the loose ends, 
is that necessary even for people to understand, especially people in government, to understand where to go with what when there's some kind of cyber policy or cyber response necessary or some other issue? I think it's really a clarification more than anything else. Coming from the government itself, we already knew what a lot of these roles were. So we understood what CISA's role were. We understood how NSA and U.S. Cyber Command um, supports CISA in those roles. And a lot of this has to do with authorities that have been given down, um, legal authorities. And one thing to note about Chris and his office is they have not given him um, true legal authorities over anything, nor have they actually given them, it's really about oversight rather than the legal authorities. And so I don't think you're gonna see a whole bunch coming out um, that will do anything other than just try to clarify one more time, kind of how the government was already collaborating together and what Chris's office is gonna do to actually help um, solidify that and get all of the folks pointed in the same direction, particularly when it comes to that private public relationship. Is there anything that you would like to not see in the executive order, Gene, is there something that if it's put in there could maybe reduce the effectiveness of the of, of the structure or the, the codification that the EO is going for? No, I wouldn't say there's anything that I'm aware of that shouldn't be put in there. Um, uh, again, I, I really think it's just the how do they work together better? And from an outsider point of view, from from private industry, as well as some of the um, agency heads, just to make sure that they kind of understand who they should be getting guidance from for particular items. What do you suspect uh, this? the impact is that this EO would have long-term? What's the difference that it would make a year, two years out, where people look back and say, well, because of that executive order, this or that is different, this or that is better? I think it's definitely going to have impact in the outer years, right? Today, I think they're kind of working their way through figuring out what the lanes of the road is. I kind of think back to when ODNI was originally created, right? So the intelligence community worked together and collaborated. We kind of knew what each other's roles were. But then when they actually created that ODNI office, it took right? Uh, almost five years, a decade until we actually see the ramifications. And now everyone in that intelligence community understands the role and what it does. I, I think we're just in the infancy of Chris's office. And it's going to take us many years till we actually look back and said, yeah, that was a smart idea. And this is what it did for us. What would be a good outcome? What would be something that you would see in that in those out years to say, and and again, not just about the EO, but your reference to the creation of the National Cyber Director writ large, what result do we have maybe five or 10 years out to say, yep, we did that and it turned out well because? Yeah, so I, I think some of the long-term effects that we really um, are going to want to just become part of our natural um, beings, our, our standard operating positions are, are really that collaboration that we're going to see between our technology 
um, in those innovations in the U.S. and the government, right? We have to get that down better. Um, and I think right now we still sometimes struggle with that to get it on the right page. I think that's one of those things that we're going to look back and say, oh, my God, we really should have figured this out earlier, um, because that's where you're going to get a whole bunch of um, raising the security bar for the government. And when I say the government, I really do include like the critical infrastructure providers, even though we consider them private um, more than government. But that That's its main goal, in my opinion, where I think we're going to see it. Gene Schaefer, thanks very much for joining me today. Great to have you on the program. Thank you so much. You can read more about the Cyberstructure EO the White House will release in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop Podcast. An update on the schedule over the next couple of weeks. You'll get new Daily Scoop Podcasts tomorrow and Thursday, and then we're off on the 24th for Christmas Eve. Then new shows again next week, Monday through Thursday, with a preview of what you should watch coming in the new year. We're off again next Friday for New Year's Eve, and then back at it January 3rd, with a great lineup of guests for the new year. The next Daily Scoop podcast debuts Wednesday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Board of Directors has a new chairman. Jeff Dalton will succeed Carlton Johnson. Dalton was vice chair before taking over. Carlton Johnson joins me now. Carlton, welcome. It's great to see you again. What's your thought as you step down from the chairmanship of the board? Are you leaving the board entirely or just the chairman's job? And what's your assessment of what the board has accomplished? Welcome, Carlton. Oh, thanks again for the opportunity to be here. Good to see you again. I, so for clarification, I'm at, I am actually stepping down from the board uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, Jeff Dalton and team need the opportunity to, to lead without, quote, me being there. So I want to give them the latitude to do that. Uh, and it, in line to your answer your question, I've been reflecting on this a lot for the last couple of days, and I'm, I'm very proud of the work that's been done thus far. Um, there's still a lot more to do, but you know, one of the key, at least in my experience, one of the key signs of leadership is knowing when you get too comfortable doing something, it's time to shift gears and and you know let some people come in to ratchet it up. So I'm looking forward to seeing great things from me going forward. You're proud of the work that's been done thus far. What's your sense of where CMMC is today and where it still needs to go, Carlton? Yeah, that's a great question. And as I was looking at what has been accomplished, I mean, think about it. We have an ecosystem of over 3,000 entities ranging from uh, uh, C3PEOs to RPs, RPOs, LTPs, and so forth. That entire ecosystem is in place, locked and loaded, and, and moving forward every single day. With the modifications that have come up with CMMC 2.0, they're still prepared to do what has been asked of them, which is go forth and do the assessments. And you know, any anytime you have uh, a modification, you take a step back, you reflect, and then make sure that what you're going to deliver uh, allows you to deliver on your promises. So my sense is that the AB and the ecosystem are going to be able to do that. Uh, and as rulemaking and everything comes forward. Uh, they'll just be prepared to uh, really protect the ecosystem and the dip, which is the most important thing, protecting our cyber uh, readiness. The, uh, the leader now of the CMMC board, Matthew Travis, said uh, right after 2.0 came out that he was 
he went from being worried about whether you would be able to meet the capacity that was necessary to whether there would still be as much of a demand for what CMMC had to offer, the accreditation and so on. What's your sense of the long-term impact of 2.0 on the operations of the board, the services the board provides and so on? You know, when you look at those numbers and the original numbers, I mean, the, the dip is still 375,000 companies. Uh, the C3 PAOs are still going to have to do level two and level three. When I say level three, to get to level three, you got to go through level two. Now, it's kind of like Monopoly, you know, got to pass go. Uh-huh. So my sense is that the the capacity is there, the the marketplace, if you will, is still there too. And, and Francis, just look at what's happened in the last three or four weeks. There have been numerous ransomware attacks that have happened and ongoing cyber events. So I here's what I perceive was going to happen. I know that there are companies chomping at the bit right now to get assessed. They want to get assessed. They want to check their, their uh, homework, if you will. The ecosystem is prepared to do that. So I don't really see the impact being significant and, and, and frankly, as we move forward, the adversary is going to change. And so the model will have to change to adapt. I, I think this is a success story across the entire board, if you will. What does that adaption look like in your view, Carlton? I, I, everybody, I think, agrees with the statement that you just made that the adversary or adversaries will continue to change and adapt. What does that mean for a company, large or small, that mm-hmm. gets an accreditation uh, at one point Six months later, a year later, uh, 18 months later, the landscape's different and there are different threats out there and the department still wants to make sure that that company is prepared and ready to meet those, uh, meet those threats. What does that look like from an adaption perspective from CMMC's view? That's where this idea of maturity comes in because I can come in and assess a company, small, medium, or large today, and let's just say they get an A+. plus. Now I come back two weeks later. What's changed in that environment? People may have moved. Uh, new technology has been integrated. There are different things that may have happened. And once you, change the, once you change the components of the equation, the answer changes at the end sometimes too. So here's what this it looks like to me. First of all, you got to check your baseline and make sure that you're good to go. You have to put in the maturity controls to verify and validate your homework as the situation adapts and changes. And then you have to have that, I'll I'll call it uh, intelligence, if you will, i.e. market intelligence, strategic intelligence, and so forth, to see and understand what's happening around you. If you're in a marketplace where your competitors are getting attacked, well, you might want to come back and check your CMMC homework and see if you're good to go. And, oh, by the way, if you're really good, You should share that information with your teammates so that they can protect themselves. So I see this adaptability piece really, it's it's kind of the the way of doing business going forward. And here's one additional perspective. When you come into your home, uh, if you have all your doors unlocked, it's a permissive environment. You're letting the adversary in. Now you lock your doors. Well, they're going to check the windows. Okay, you've locked the windows. Uh, now you're going to add a security system. You just keep upping your game and forcing the cost to go back to the adversary. Long-term, Carlton, what does the CMMC model look like 
mature? And do you have a sense of when that can be, or is there no such thing given that the threat landscape evolves and changes over time? No, I, I think it's a ladder. I, I think, first of all, in the next two to three years, what's got to happen is, A, the assessments have to be done. We'll learn a lot from the assessments. Uh, the faster that those can be accomplished, A, the better for the ecosystem and better for the uh, DIB, so that we get a, we, when I say in this case, that now the DOD, I got to pass, I, and I don't speak for the DOD, but the DOD and the AB will now have a uh, understanding of how well or how bad off are we? We might find that people have actually done a lot of homework, and that's a good thing. We might find that people still haven't done basic NIST. Okay, once we understand that, now we now we lock it in for the future. And then as uh, NIST improves, there'll probably be version 3, version 5, version 9, whatever. We'll, we'll bake that into the model as well. Carlton Johnson, outgoing chair of the CMMC board. It's great to have you on the program. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. And you guys have a great day. And thanks for what you're doing for the country as well. You can read more about the changing of the guard at the CMMC board in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The next Daily Scoop podcast is tomorrow afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. Until then, I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.